Well, we come to the heart of the story, not exactly the middle of our experience going through the story. Uh, as you know, the Old Testament's about two-thirds of the Bible, and the New Testament is one-third. Uh, that's not significant in saying that the Old Testament is more important than the New. In fact, I hope you've been able to see as you've gone through the story with us that all of it focuses toward what happened in Bethlehem. If you ask me what the heart of the story is, it is the coming of Jesus as our king. It's his being born in Bethlehem because that did several things. Now, God appeared in the Old Testament as we've talked about. He appeared and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He lived with the Israelites through the Exodus and appeared in the temple and the tabernacle first in the temple. He dwelt there, but now we see this amazing thing happen, that God becomes flesh. Fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ came. That should be, and I hope is for you, the heart of your story. I can tell you that all the Bible would not make sense if Matthew chapter 1 had never taken place. All of the Bible wouldn't make sense. Now, the New Testament unfolds and it tells us about the life of Jesus. It tells us about the teachings of Jesus. It tells us about his death and his resurrection. It tells us about the beginning of the early church. It's important. We'll talk about that in coming weeks. But the birth of Jesus, without it, none of this makes sense. So, what did the coming of Jesus do for us? Why is that the heart of the story? Uh, there are three reasons today we want to talk about. First, the coming of Jesus fulfilled many prophecies. The coming of Jesus fulfilled many prophecies. Now, do you, at the end of December every year, do you have to rush out to get your inquirer? to figure out the predictions of the astrologers for the coming year? No. Not worth the paper they're printed on, really, are they? If you ever take those and hold on to them for a year, it is amazing to see how many of those predictions, their prophecies, don't come true. Now, I did something a little different this, this week. I, I looked on the Internet and found some French postcards from the turn of the last century, 1900 into, uh, excuse me, uh, 1900, 1800s to the 1900s, and they, these postcards were depicting life in the year 2000. So in the year 1900, they're postulating, they're prophesying what life will look like in 2000. Now, I don't remember the Google term I used, but these are fascinating. There's a series of postcards, and on these postcards, there were things like, there was a picture of what they called an electric scrubber. It was a, a, a gadget that was doing household duties. Kind of like a Roomba. You all see the Roomba, those robots that, that clean throughout the... That thing would freak me out if I had one of those. You know, you're just hanging out and all of a sudden this little thing comes zooming by, cleaning. So that one was kind of accurate in a sense. This electric scrubber doesn't look anything like that on the postcard. It has all kinds of arms sticking out with brooms and mops hanging off it and that kind of thing. 
They had a postcard of the aviation police. There's a policeman that has wings on his back, and he's giving a ticket to a guy that's driving what looks like a cross between an electric car and an electric uh, airplane in the air, in the middle of the air. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope I live long enough to have a, a space, an air car. Would that not be cool? But listen, I don't think it'll ever happen because if you go uh, 75 miles an hour on 50 highway, imagine how fast you'd go in the air without any friction to slow you down. And a crash in the air would not be good. Not only do you hit each other, but then you've got to face the fall, right? This prediction did not come true. There's another one of a, a people with these bubbles on their head underwater in the ocean fishing for seagulls. They were actually fishing up. They had the lines going up to bait on the top, and the seagulls were... Now, listen, why in the world would you fish for a seagull to start with? I mean, those French people had to be pretty desperate for food. Yeah, we're going to have some seagulls, and I don't think so. Not happening. That did not take place. I don't know of anywhere in the world where people fish with bubble helmets upwards for seagulls today. There was a postcard of a whale bus. I guess they thought because we were going to overcrowd the earth that we'd have to move into the ocean. But a lot of these had pictures of, of things in the ocean. So a whale towing people behind it in the water. I don't think that happened. There was also a, a picture, a postcard of fish races. There were people who looked like they were on uh, barracudas or, or something like that, long cigar-shaped fish, and they were racing like they race on horses or camels today. Don't think that happened. There was a chicken machine out in the barn where you were putting in eggs, and out from the bottom was coming out little chicks. <laughs> I don't think that happens. I don't think it happens that way. It takes a little more incubation than that. Then there was a, a picture of students in class uh, that had these metal caps on their head. I guess they were thinking that electricity would somehow revolutionize education. It has revolutionized education, has it, with iPads, and computers in the classroom, but, but I don't think we shock kids into learning their ABCs. Don't think it happens that way. And there was a rolling house. It looked like a, a kind of a, a, a fancy trailer on wheels. Well, you could stretch that to say that we have RVs today, which are really rolling houses. But all that to say, it's humorous to look at, but all that to say that somebody predicting 100 years into the future Got a few things kind of uh, peripherally right, but most of the predictions were wrong. In the Bible, the Old Testament, there are 300, over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. Who the Messiah would be, what his life would look like. Of those 300, 60 of them could be considered major prophecies. Out of those 60 major prophecies... We can see in the coming of Jesus, in his lifestyle, in everything that happened, accurate, completely accurate fulfillment in the New Testament. Friends, that is beyond amazing. That's something that could only happen at the hands of God. It only could happen. And to me, it speaks so strongly to why I live my life totally given over to Jesus Christ 
It is beyond comprehension that all of these things could be accurately fulfilled from some 2,000 to 1,000 to 500-year-old prophecies to actually come into being with this baby who was born in Bethlehem. Way back in Genesis, he was predicted. Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed with, through you. That's God saying to Abraham, through your line, through your descendants, there will come one who will be a blessing to everyone, who will divide the right from the wrong, who will divide the godly from the ungodly. That was fulfilled in Jesus. In our passage, Matthew 1, 18 through 25, it reads like this. Can we go back to the beginning? I know I skipped over that, Becky. Let's read the whole passage. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet not did, want, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. This is verses 22 to 23 of Matthew chapter 1. We'll read Isaiah 7, 14 in just a few minutes. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. In other words, prophesied from Isaiah 4 that uh, this man... This God-man, this Messiah, the promised one, will come without natural conception. He will come without the need for the normal process of reproduction. He will be supernaturally conceived. He will uh, be birthed by a virgin. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The heart of the story, that is. Verses 22 and 23 prophesy and say that Jesus is fulfillment of that prophecy. From Isaiah 7, 14, it reads almost the same. Therefore, therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, that's just one of the 60 major prophecies out of the over 300 that were fulfilled in Jesus. I read some work from a man named Peter Stoner. Peter Stoner wrote a book called Science and Fact. He, he, among other subjects, he covered the probability of all of the prophecies of Jesus from the Old Testament coming true as he was born and as he lived on earth now he only looked at eight and he said if you take eight of those 60 major prophecies the probability of all eight of those coming to place coming to be over all of those centuries the probability of that is one in one to the 18th a quintillion that's one with 18 zeros behind it now, that's like 
taking silver dollars and covering the whole state of Texas, the state over. If you took a quintillion silver dollars, that would cover the state of Texas to a height of two feet. And taking one of those silver dollars, maybe in marking it with a special sign and throwing it in the midst of all the two feet of silver dollars all over Texas and scrambling all up, and then you'd be able to find that one marked silver dollar in all of those quintillion of silver dollars. Do you see what I'm saying? That that probability of something like that happening can only happen through the supernatural power of God. It shows us the desire of God to want to be in relationship with us. It shows us the desire of God to want to have a connection with us. It's amazing, isn't it? The coming of Jesus fulfilled many prophecies. The coming of Jesus, secondly, set in motion God's salvation plan. It set in motion God's salvation plan. <laughs> oh, I read this week about Zeke the turtle. Zeke the turtle was uh, a turtle in Massachusetts. He was part of the Young family. And this turtle was 31 years old. Box turtles, I didn't know they lived that long, but Zeke was 31. He lived securely in the home of Bobby Debbie Young in Beverly, Massachusetts. But on July 30th, 2012, the box turtle made a not-so-quick escape after the family cat made a hole in the screen door on the back deck. For a month, Zeke, the prodigal turtle, was on the run. When the Youngs realized he had gone, they played, placed ads in the local paper. They put up flyers around town. They used the services of a search and rescue dog trained to track down reptiles. They even offered a cash reward for Zeke's safe return. I don't know about you, but I see turtles in the summertime about every day. I think I would have got a turtle for them and tried to pass it off as Zeke. No, I wouldn't. That would have been honest, kids. Finally, their neighbor's golden retriever sneaked out Zip, uh, Zeke as he was trying to hide in some ivy. Zeke's slow but steady month-long escapade had taken him about 1,000 feet from the house where he'd busted out. The neighbor told reporters he was just sitting there on the lawn just waiting to be found. He was easy pickings. The youngs called me. They couldn't believe it. They were thrilled. They were overjoyed. Zeke came home. <laughs> oh, what a great story. But as I think about that story, I think about this. That we are prone to wander. We're prone to bust out of the ideal mold that God has for us. The life that can bring blessings and fulfillment. We're, we're prone to go our own way. And just like the youngs, they started moving everything they could to try to find their lost turtle. God does everything he can. That is the story of the story. God does everything he can. We've read about it in the Old Testament. He sends prophets. He sends kings. He does everything he can to help people be close to God, to live by faith. He's done everything he can, and now he brings out, he brings out the total plan 
means to have a God, the Son of God, become man. It's God's salvation plan. He puts in motion God, his heart is to be close to us. His heart is to be in relationship to us. And that's what happens as Jesus comes. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, verse 21, because he will save his people from their sins. Nathan did a good job of telling you how we're not perfect. We, no one of us, can always keep the law. We are prone to wander. But thanks be to God, this Jesus who came, he came to bring us a reunion. He came to be our ransom. He came to be our price to be set free from our own bad choices. The Bible calls those sin. Jesus comes and he becomes the fulfillment of God's plan that we can have forgiveness from our sins that we don't have to to be held accountable for them when we stand before him at the end of our life first peter puts it this way for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of christ a lamb without blemish or defect he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So listen, from the beginning of of Genesis, as God inspired the authors of the Bible to write down these words, from the very beginning, he knew it would come to this, the coming of Jesus. It was the setting in motion of the ultimate plan for us to be forgiven, for us as an expression of God's love for us, To come back and love him and be faithful to him in return. It took this baby growing up and becoming the sacrificial lamb for us. John the Baptist said when Jesus began his public ministry, Behold the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. 1 Peter, a little later on, chapter 2 says this, For he himself bore his sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Today, if you're searching, if you're not sure if you know him yet, I encourage you to understand that you can't possibly live a life pleasing to God without a relationship to him. And the way the scripture tells us that we have relationship to him is through faith in his son. For this is the very crux of the story, the upper story of God's plan from Genesis to Revelation is God wanting to bring redemption, uh, the rebuilding of relationship back to his men and women to make them his sons and daughters. But it works itself out in our lower stories, the everyday lives, the journeys that we live. I wonder today, do you know him? If you know him, are you committed 
to living fully for him. For the third thing that happened with the coming of Jesus is this. The coming of Jesus empowers us with a purpose. The coming of Jesus empowers us with a purpose. I think all of us have, whether we understand it or not, we have this desire to be a great part of something greater than ourselves. We understand that life is not ultimately fulfilling when it's all about us. We need to be involved. We need to feel like we're making a difference. We need to feel like there's a bigger a part of life than just eating and drinking and making merry. And that's exactly what Scripture says. That this salvation that God wants to provide to us is to help us have that freedom from our past sins, but it's also to give us purpose in our life every day that we live. As Rick Warren writes in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, we all need to figure out that plan and that purpose and to find our part, to fill our part. Do you notice how from the very beginning of the New Testament, do you notice how as we read through the Old Testament, God always used people for his purposes? He could have made it happen supernaturally without the use of people. But even here we see that he involves Mary and Joseph. As we see, Mary becomes pregnant without Joseph. But the Son of God, as he spent his time on earth, needed a man and a woman to be his father and his mother. And as Jesus Grew up, he started impacting the lives of others, helping to, to give those people a sense of the kingdom of God and their purpose, their part in it. The same thing is true for us today, that God is chasing after you, he's chasing after me to help us find purpose, to ha find our part in the kingdom of God. He wants us to be a part of all that. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 has a, a great way of, of tying this all together. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Four always indicates to look at what came before it. We are saved by grace, through faith, not by our works. But we are God's handiwork. If you know the Greek uh, behind that word handiwork, you translate handiwork there, it actually is the root of, a, of poetry, a, a masterpiece. For we all, maybe you could put your name there, you are designed to be God's masterpiece, God's Poetry that plays itself out in this world. Created in Christ Jesus to do good, do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The reason all those prophecies came true is God had the master plan from the very beginning. From creation forward until the end of this world is prophesied in Revelation. And believe me, if he could make all those prophecies come true in Jesus, then what is prophesied to happen in Revelation will happen one day. I can't tell you exactly how it's going to happen, but it will happen one day. And only those who know him are going to be saved. 
So it is for us to figure out who Jesus is personally. And if we have given our life to Jesus, then it is for us to figure out how God wants to work his masterpiece. He wants to work his purposes in our lives. What part in the kingdom do we play? Last night I went to Gideon's pastor appreciation banquet. Now, you know last night about 6.30, snow was coming down. It was kind of slick if you're out and about. And we didn't know if it was going to happen or not. We rushed home from Kansas City, and we made it there in our blue jeans and boots, walked in there, our people all nicely dressed. We just went on in anyway. But it was only because, I guess, of the weather, only myself and Beth and another pastor that were able to make it with the Gideons. But in this small group, weather-depleted group, they had a, a man leading a group to sing, named Lee Wilson, and he said as he introduced himself something I don't think I've heard before, which had a a powerful impact on me, so I want to say it for you. He said, I'm just a nobody that wants to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. I'm just a nobody that wants to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. The great news is this. Uh, No matter what we've done, God still wants to be a part of our lives. And no matter what we think our weaknesses are, we have some strengths that God can use in us and through us to accomplish his purposes. So what's somebody trying to tell you today? What's your story going to be? going forward I think the only limits to your story are your desire and your willingness to give your life completely to give him all that you have all that you have is enough because if many of us give all of us then many will be saved And the kingdom of God will bless this earth. Father, as we think about these things today, I pray that even though this story is familiar to us, the Christmas story we just talked about in December, how profound it is. You're you're sending your son changes everything. It is the heart of your story. It can be the heart of our story. I wonder today what you're trying to tell us. Even more, I wonder how we'll respond. I pray that you're speaking to us and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen.